Let us pray. Consecrate us, Lord, in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Some words from our psalm, Psalm 24 and verses 24 and 28. The Lord did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. It might be a feeble and misleading claim to celebrity, but early in my ministry, I shared an office with Harry Potter. Not, of course, the boy wizard. Actually, this was a few years before the first of J.K. No uh, Rowling's novels were published. No, the Reverend Harry Potter was a prison chaplain and is now a barrister. During the time that I was working with him, Harry wrote his first book, Hanging in Judgment. It's an history of the death penalty in England, and particularly of the church's attitude towards it. In the book, Harry discussed uh, the ways in which uh, church people campaigned either for or against the abolition of capital punishment. But he also studied the ministry of the church to those who were condemned. The chaplain was there at the very end, sometimes walking with the person to the scaffold. Mercifully, Britain no longer has a death penalty, although it still exists in many parts of the world. And a hundred years before its abolition, the British government ended public hangings, which, horrific though they must have been, were actually seen as entertainment. Britain wasn't alone in this. If we think about the accounts of the French Revolution, we're offered pictures of crowds, some of them sitting knitting, jeering at the aristocrats who were brought to the guillotine. And they were by no means the first to go out to mock those condemned to die. In the Roman Empire, crowds would gather for a crucifixion, shouting abuse at those who'd been sentenced as they carried their crosses to the place of execution. And Jesus called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. It is a shocking thing for Jesus to have said. To be his disciple was to go the way that he was going, a way of utter humiliation. To identify with Jesus was to risk being misunderstood and abused, to be made a figure of fun or contempt, to be treated as the very lowest of the low. Those who first heard those words must have been astonished. Jesus was popular. People were coming to him in vast numbers to hear him. He was being talked about everywhere. But he tells those who would be his disciples that the tables will turn. He will be rejected, subject to suffering and condemned to die. And those who would be his followers must not be ashamed to share his lot. His lot would not only have been public humiliation. The way of the cross was also the way of hopelessness. One of the most consistent and famous campaigners against the death penalty in the United States of America is Sister Helen Prejean. 
Her campaign comes out of her experience visiting inmates on death row. About the same time that Harry Potter produced his book, Helen Prejean's autobiographical writings were published in the US and they became a film, Dead Man Walking. The title is taken from the shout of the prison guards as someone is taken to an execution chamber. Often, it follows years spent in a cell whilst legal arguments and appeals are debated and pleas for clemency considered. Dead Man Walking is a shout that says, all hope is gone. Jesus tells the crowd that his way is the way of dead man walking. To have faith in Jesus is to join him on that journey where all hope is gone. Faith was the theme of our first reading. Paul reflected with the Romans on what it means to have faith by drawing on the example of Abraham and the promise that Abraham would have a son. Abraham had been faithful to God, but now was nearly 100 years old, or, as Paul rather unsentimentally puts it, his body was already as good as dead. Hoping against hope, Abraham trusted. The call to take up the cross, then, is to hope against hope. And in that place, as good as dead, in that place of hopelessness, God's power will be made known. Last week, as much as they could in lockdown, our Jewish brothers and sisters were celebrating the Feast of Purim. At Purim, the Jews uh, rehearsed the story that is told in the book of Esther, in which a plot to destroy the Jewish people was uncovered and the plotter was condemned in their place. The setting of the story is in Persia. This is a story from after the fall of Jerusalem about Jews far from their ancestral country in Judea and far from the temple that had been the center of their worship. So the story of the exile itself is a story of a people defeated by their enemies, a people who were humiliated and hopeless and who then found that God had not abandoned them. At the lowest point, God was there, and they found new ways of being God's people. One of the remarkable features of the book of Esther, as we have it in the Bible, is that God is not mentioned by name. As if the author is implicitly telling us that in the situation where God appears to be absent, God's power is known. In the situation where God appears to be absent, God's power is known. Sheila Cassidy was a doctor in Chile in the 1970s. She was arrested for assisting opponents of the regime. She was imprisoned and tortured. After her release, she returned to Britain and worked in an hospice for many years. In the 1980s, she saw in the final days of those with AIDS the same humiliation and hopelessness that she had experienced in Chile. And she found the same faith. She wrote, 
The spirit of God knows no boundaries and will attend the deathbed of both saint and sinner. The great paradox, of course, is that so often it is only when we have been arrested, searched and stripped and imprisoned that we are sufficiently empty-handed to receive the gift he offers. We do not want to experience suffering. We do not want to enter the place of hopelessness. But if and when we do, we will find that God is there. The psalm we heard this morning was the last part of Psalm 22. That psalm begins with a terrible cry of despair. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it goes on to give an account of terrible physical and mental anguish. The psalmist pleads with God. And then suddenly the tone changes. The psalmist proclaims, you have answered me. And continues with the words that we heard. The Lord did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. It is the mystery of faith. In the moment of utter despair, where death seems to be the only outcome, where God appears to be absent, God is there. And where God is, is life. The cry of desolation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is one that we cry in unison with the crucified Son of God. And we find the risen Son of God in unison with us. Amen. <laughs>